You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to the Big Blue Review Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Today, we are going to be just doing a quick just look back and review position by position a little bit on the Giants offense from the 2018 season. Quickly just kind of overview the position, what happened, what we liked about the position, what we didn't like about the positions. And then at the end, just going to give off some quick just suggestions of what improvements we would like to see on the offensive side of the ball. At the end of the week, we are going to do this same structure for the defense. But today we are going to look at the offense. So are you ready to break that down, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're doing maybe a little bit late, but we had other things to take care of before we get to this, you know, like senior bowl, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think we're we're at a good point right now where I think we're far enough removed from the season that we can kind of have a pretty good step back. And now we're maybe far enough into the offseason where we can kind of figure out what offseason plans might start to look like. So that's kind of why we're doing this right now. And I mean, for... This offense, I think before we break it down completely, we can just take a step back and look at what it was overall this year. So per Football Outsiders, the Giants were actually 13th in offensive DVOA in 2018. So they finished a lot better uh, than they started. There was that stretch kind of right after the bye where they were you know a little better so they were only 15th in weighted DVOA so that means they fell off a little bit at the tail end of the season but they were 15th in passing offense that's all DVOA and 18th uh, in rushing offense so a lot of that though I think comes from the big plays that were generated because the the down to down consistency just was not there that's something we've talked about a lot I wrote about a decent amount on on the website. So the Giants were 17th in yards per drive and 19th uh, in points per drive. So that's kind of where the fall off is there and how this offense played. Um, so now that we kind of have an overview, we'll, we'll go into the positions and the, I think the one place we can start and the one place where all of these conversations start and they're the place where conversations will continue throughout the offseason is going to be quarterback and Eli Manning. Yeah, and that's pretty much where you have to start with any conversation about offense is with the quarterback. It's it's the most important position for a reason. And Eli is he's going to be their starting quarterback at least to start 2019. It's Unless he decides to call it quits and hang up the cleats, that's what's going to happen. 
and he's in a place where he's I can't say he's really physically declined much, but then again, he never really set that bar particularly high. He never had a rocket arm, even though he was a good deep passer. He was never what anyone except for maybe Peyton would call athletic, but he's really not making the best decisions as of late either. So, yeah, I think that's a lot of what, the current version of Eli Manning is. I think a lot of that is is in the decision making and just putting the whole package together just was not very successful this season. So he was 24th in DVOA by ESPN's QBR, which again is more of a win probability statistic. He was only 25th in total QBR at just 51 Yeah, usually it takes quite a bit to get below 50. So that's that's basically average, but almost every quarterback is is above average now, um, just because of how how passing has exploded and passing efficiency is as high as it's ever been. Uh, So when you see people state things like Eli had career high in completion percentage, he had his highest yards per attempt in, in four years. Yeah, but that's true for literally every quarterback across the board. Uh, It's not just Eli. So you have to take that context when you look at, at what he brought to the table in 2018. And I think as we look, and when we look at Eli, I think one of the biggest things people talk about is the offensive line. And we'll talk about the offensive line specifically later. But even without pressure, uh, Eli was not productive quarterback this year. So I have some ranks per Sports Info Solutions among quarterbacks with at least 100 attempts uh, not under pressure. There were 38 quarterbacks who had at least 100 attempts. Eli was 23rd in completion percentage, 18th in on-target percentage, 28th in touchdown rate, 25th in interception rate. He was 23rd in positive play percentage and 23rd in points earned, which is Sports Info Solutions' uh, expected points added, which individually divides credit on a pass. He was 12th in yards per attempt without pressure, but a lot of that came from the the skill position players he got to throw to because a lot of that came after the catch. So when the people are trying to use that offensive line as as an excuse for why the passing production wasn't there, when you look at what he did without pressure and it's been proven that a quarterback production Uh, in a clean pocket and without pressure is more consistent from year to year than whatever happens under pressure. When you look at how he performed without pressure, that should be even more concerning. Uh, And that's something that should really shape what the Giants feel is going to be at the position going forward. Yeah, and we'll circle around back to that when we get to what we think they could do to improve or what we think they should do to improve going forward. But last year... I think we saw some flashes of Eli Classic, you know, like against the Carolina Panthers when they just kind of threw caution to the wind and started airing the ball out. He looked a lot like a younger version of himself. We did see him play very efficiently, like against the Texans or in the last two weeks of the season when they kind of reshuffled the offense to basically play around their 
limitations on the offensive line. But we only saw that really sparingly. We didn't see it consistently on a play-in, play-out, game-in, game-out basis. There were highs, which were impressive, but there were also a lot of lows, which were concerning. And that's I think that's just kind of where Eli is. Right, and he's at an age right now where you can look at you know, some of the highs and some of the things and, and think those are going to you know, continue or there's going to be more of them, but I'm just not sure if that's a reality. But again, I think we're obviously we're looking at Eli Manning as at least this starter for the beginning of 2019. I think that's the most realistic probability. I don't see anything that's going to, you know, that hints toward otherwise. So we're seeing it at least there. But I think, again, there's going to be concern of there should really be some urgency of what is going to take place afterward. Because if there's not a plan that goes further than just the beginning of 2019, then I think the Giants are potentially in trouble. And that's just going to continue to push down some struggles further down the road. I think we can move on to the next position and let's take a look at the offensive line which was very much under scrutiny all year and for good reason per football outsiders adjusted line yard which divides credit on running plays between the offensive line and the running back the giants were 29th so they did very little to create running lanes and they weren't particularly great pass blocking either but I think so much more uh, and this is also something that's been proven uh, something football outsiders has looked at a lot that the offensive line matters so much more for run production than for pass production uh, because the quarterback can do so much more to to maneuver and get the ball out quickly and and many other things uh, to get around whatever the offensive line is doing in front of him. And the per football outsiders, the Giants were just, they were 18th in offensive pressure rate allowed, which, you know, is about average. There's a lot of teams that were worse than the Giants in pressure rate allowed. And a number of them made the playoffs. The Chargers ranked worse than them. The Cowboys ranked worse than them. Kansas City was worse. Seattle was worse. Houston was worse. Um, So there are a lot of offensive lines that were worse in pass protection, but they were still able to have functional offenses uh, because really the quarterback was able to manage it. So I think that is going to be a very important part of assessing what needs to be fixed on the offensive line. Yeah, and you said the offensive line was under scrutiny, and it it really should have been. They went out and completely rebuilt it. They spent a ton of money on Nate Solder and Patrick Omame, and they definitely didn't get their money's worth for Omame, and I think you could argue that they really didn't get their money's worth for Nate Solder either. Yeah, he gave up I I've, I've seen 7 sacks or 8 sacks either way that's too much for a 22 million dollar offensive tackle. And I think the bigger problem with the line was that they let it affect themselves as far as their play calling was concerned. We both saw it all through the season that the Giants, A, seemed surprised whenever 
a defense beat their offensive line and then B would just retreat right into a shell and not really attempt to play around their offensive line. That's something we brought up in a lot of the review episodes during the season was how much the Giants' perception of their own offensive line really hindered how they game planned. And like I said, there's a whole bunch of good offenses that had worse offensive lines in the passing game. Um, And they were able to scheme around it. They allowed themselves to still run a normal offense. But I think way too often, the Giants just had this mentality that, oh, we can't block anyone. So why are we even going to try to push the ball downfield? But there are many possibilities to do that. I think we saw it get a little better in the second half of the season, but only slightly. So I think that just the mentality around the offensive line, I think, was more of a detriment than the offensive line itself. Oh, definitely agreed. I think they've got a really good building block there in Will Hernandez. He was, I think it's fair to say, he was a beast, especially as the season wore on and he got more comfortable at the NFL level and dealing with NFL defensive linemen. But I think it's also fair to say that everywhere to his right, they've got a hold or at least a decision to make for next year. Absolutely. Hernandez was really good. And so I took some Sports Info Solutions numbers and looked at offensive linemen with at least 400 snaps during the season. So these are how the Giants ranked in those areas. And Nate Solder ended up being, you know, kind of an average tackle, which, you know, is not what the Giants are paying for, but a big improvement on what he started the season as. So he finished 34th among 72 tackles with at least 400 snaps during the season. Chad Wheeler uh, was a problem. Replaced Eric Flowers was not much better. Uh, He was 51st out of 72. Sorry, this is all blown block percentage. Uh, So the percentage of their snaps that featured a blown block. So Wheeler was 51st of 72. Hernandez finished 14th of 62 guards. So for a rookie guard, that is really, really good. The only other rookie to be up there was Quentin Nelson, who was second uh, among these guards. Um, so for for Hernandez to be where he was, like right around David DeCastro, who's a very good guard also. But then you look at Jamon Brown, who was really pointed as someone who was kind of a turning point in the offense when he was claimed. But that really just was more narrative than his actual play. He was 51st among 62 guards uh, with at least 400 snaps in blown block percentage. So he was his play uh, was nowhere near... Uh, just kind of the like savior of the offensive line crown he he got during the second half of the season and he's going to be a free agent so I think when you look at that that's something that is absolutely going to have to be assessed was his play something that was because he was playing on a new line or is that just kind of his overall ability right now and I'm not sure that's something the Giants should invest in if that's the case Uh, and then you move over to center Spencer Pulley got the most time there he was 21st 
of 40 centers with at least 400 snaps during the regular season. Um, so again, outside of Hernandez, uh, it was average at best to below average at a lot of other places across that offensive line. Yeah, I would say average at best at left tackle and then below average to bad everywhere else. Pulley ranking 21st is still not great considering there's only one center on the line. So that's really at 21 out of the top 32, not not out of 64. Now, granted, there were obviously replacement centers who got significant snaps. Pulley was one of them. But yeah, not, not ideal there. No, no, not at all. And and it's something, though, I, I said if they don't have as much impact on the passing game. It's just, it's something the Giants are going to have to look at. There are some pieces that are going to have to be improved there. I mean, especially if they're going to try to be this run-heavy offense, which it is going to be something I will continue to say should not be the case. But when you use the second overall pick on a running back, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, <laughs> and you're going to run as often as they do or try to run as often as they do, you need the offensive line in front to open up those lanes. But let's move on now to continue with the passing game. Let's look at wide receiver. I think from what they had... Um, and what we kind of knew, I think the, the two big pieces in Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard, it did exactly what they should have done. Odell was the best player on the field when he was on the field. The, the problem was he missed the last four games due to injury. So he only played 12 games, but still had uh, 1,052 yards while missing four games. That is excellent he was easily the best part of the offense while he was on the field and that's just by value again someone who is good in the passing game and has expected points added in the passing game just going to be more efficient and more useful than whatever is happening on the ground that's something we've we've talked about many times on this show and then Shepard he uh, of course was it continued to be good, and he was able to be moved uh, from the slot to the outside. He had to play a little. He had to play a little more on the outside once Beckham was out. Uh, but he ended up being very good there. He had a couple weeks where where that wasn't the case. But I think when you when you're moving forward and you're looking at those two players as the top two receivers, I think you feel good about what they did and what they can do. And the big question mark, of course, is going to be what's going on at number three. They kind of punted that going into the season. Uh, and then there was just a continued rotating cast of players who were there. It was Cody Latimer, who flashed at times, but was on IR for half the season. Uh, you had the Jawill Davis, you had Benny Fowler, Corey Coleman. Uh, basically, all of these guys were only on one-year deals, so you don't really know what situations they'll be in going forward. But I think you have two really good guys, and then still a huge question mark at number three. I think that's completely fair. You know, I, I'm honestly impressed that Odell had over a th even knowing how good he is, that he managed to have over a thousand yards in 12 games because 
for most of the first half, he was being used almost like a glorified possession receiver. Like they, the offense offense would get bogged down in the first two downs. And then just, we need a first down, throw it to Odell. And there was a game where the camera caught Pat Shermer basically shouting, throw it deep. But that same game, their best deep threat, which is Odell, didn't have a single target where he was actually going down the field, where he was running down the field. His targets were all running basically horizontally, either appeared to be mesh concepts or outs or things like that. I think that changed a little bit after the bye week, but then he got hurt. So the fact that he was able to take a lot of those kind of shallow routes and still turn them into a thousand yard season in 12 games is that's just who he is. And Shepard, I think showed his, his value as a player who can play slot. He, and he can play on the outside. He might not have the size of a X receiver or a flanker, but he's a, a seriously strong receiver. We saw that in his blocking and he has a huge catch radius with his what 41 inch vertical leap something like that so he can get it done and it's nice to actually see him get a chance to do it and as you say they they punted third receiver and i kind of have the feeling that that will just continue we could see cody latimer back i wouldn't be angry at that Corey coleman showed enough i think as a kick returner to earn us at least another look so he might get it personally, and I've been fairly vocal about this. I'd like to see them use a two tight end base package and basically use Evan Ingram as their third receiver. Well, that's a great transition. So let's yeah, talk about tight so. ends <laughs> because, uh, again, I think we continue to see when you look back on the production at tight end, you can't help but really think about Ingram's usage. Uh, It was a problem with Ben McAdoo in 2017, and uh, I think it continued, especially in the beginning part of this season. So last year, Ingram was like the least efficient tight end. He was like the worst among tight ends in DVOA, which is a football outsider's efficiency metric. He was just continually used on on shallow crossing routes and not use up the seam. I think that was that is something that continued this year. Of course, he he did have some injuries in the beginning of the year and was was fighting those a little bit. So Ingram ended up finishing 19th this year among tight ends in DVOA. So that's a little better. He got used a little more like he should um, toward the end of the year, but I I would still like to see more. So when you're looking at the tight end group, it just feels incomplete because there's so much more that could have been done. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The fact that he had as good a rookie season as he did with how he was being used basically three and five yard crossing routes just a steady diet of that all year long you have to wonder how good he could have been if they'd actually used him efficiently and gotten the most out of him 
you know, maybe the same as how Washington uses uh, Jordan Reed or Vernon Davis or how this year San Francisco used Greg Kittle. But then we did start to see, especially after Odell got hurt at the end of this year, him get used a lot more like he should have. He started to get, again, moved around a little bit more. He played out of the backfield some. He got, he actually got some touches in the run game, which was fun to see. And they actually used him downfield. There were those uh, two games directly after the bye week where they didn't even look at him until the fourth quarter, but he wound up coming up with huge catches down the field that basically put them in position to win those games. And really, that's how he should be used a lot more. We tend to gloss over his blocking ability, but he's not a bad blocker. So that's not a reason to take him off the field. And his ability as a, as a receiver mean he really should be in the game as an active part in, of the game all the way through. Yeah, to go back to your blocking thing, Sports Info Solutions had him down with zero blown blocks. I think we, uh, uh, so many people kind of see his frame and how good he is as a passer and think he can't block. And that's just, it's not true. He can block. That's probably not what he should be asked to do um, because he is such a good receiving threat. So you want to use him as a receiver more often, but he's not a liability as a pass blocker or a run blocker or just a blocker in general. That's just not the most efficient way to use him, which is why he's not used there. So this kind of narrative that he's not a good blocker just because of his skill set is just not true at all. No, I I said this going back to before the draft. He's not a bad blocker. He's got skills. He's got technique down. But he just needs to be used correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something we also have said multiple times uh, during uh, this show. And that's what you're going to want to see going forward. I think when you, when you stick at tight end, we look... You know, Rhett Ellison was a big part of the game plan, especially in the games that Ingram missed. You know, Ellison ended up 10th in DVOA receiving, and he was you know, a decent receiver. I think they put him in a decent position to succeed, but I, I don't think there was enough added by him that he, he should you know, really still be around, especially at his cap number. I think we've talked about this. Also, he has a $5.75 million cap hit for... 2019 uh, and the Giants could save 3.25 million by releasing him and that just might be a place where they're going to need to go so uh, Ellison is going to be almost twice as expensive as Evan Ingram uh, next year so I just don't think that is uh, a good way to spend the resources at tight end and I think you could you could get around it a little more if if you change that up oh Certainly. I think maybe the first place they'll look is maybe trying to get him to take a pay cut, maybe rework his contract with so like some maybe some option years or something like that to try to bring his cap number down. But this was something we brought up in our positional preview of the tight end draft class. You know, the Giants cutting Ellison is, I think, a very real possibility. And it's a, it's an intriguing one. 
because there are some intriguing tight ends in this class. And they could also just go the much cheaper route and go with somebody like, say, Scott Simonson as a potential tight end, too, behind Evan Ingram. They do basically the same things. Simonson isn't as good a pass catcher or as good a blocker, I think, as Ellison, but for the difference in price... It's certainly uh, an option the Giants have, and I think they're they're going to be looking at that second tight end spot and figuring out, I think, maybe just a more efficient way to to fill that role. So as we move on, let's get to the final offensive position, and that is one the Giants put a lot of resources in and will continue to because of the decision they made in the draft and that is running back and with Saquon Barkley as the second overall pick so again I think we're just going to run through this there are two very different ways to talk about Saquon Barkley he was very good arguably the best running back in the league uh, this year um, he was the best at, at breaking tackles. He, he created so much on his own, but putting him in the situation of the Giants with the bad offensive line and not a lot of opportunity to create on his own, it did not allow him to have his full skill set really shine. And, and that's part of the deal of taking a running back that high in the draft uh, is if you don't have this situation really more than any other position, if you don't have that situation for him to succeed, he's not going to have the impact that you believe his skill set should allow him to have. And we saw that with the Giants. As good as Barkley was individually, the running game as a whole wasn't great. The offense as a whole wasn't great. The team as a whole wasn't great. And that 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 all goes into it. And then to go on top of that, the way the Giants used Barkley wasn't ideal either. The amount of checkdowns he had in the passing game, the amount of of runs they tried to have him just go between the tackles when that's not his or the offensive line's strength. So there were just many questionable decisions that went all around that I think continually have to factor in how you talk about Barkley. Yeah, I think a lot of the time the Giants playbook just read, get Barkley the ball and pray. You know, just pray that he could make one, two, five defenders miss in the backfield and turn what should have been just a bad decision and a play that was never going to go anywhere into something special. And he did that often enough to make them believe that that was a viable, sustainable way of playing offense. And... You know, we have gotten some blowback for saying that Odell is the Giants' best player and that there were issues, I think we could say somewhat diplomatically, with the Giants drafting Barkley. He is an excellent football player. He really is. I, If somebody wanted to say, like you did, that he was the best running back in the league, I don't know that I could argue that he's absolutely right there with Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley and he does things physically that they just can't 
and he's doing it in a mu- in much much worse situations. Uh, the Cowboys have unquestionably a better offensive line, and Sean McVay's ability to scheme Gurley into basically dream situations for a running back it is something I think every offensive play caller could and should learn from, which is something I'm going to get to again a little bit in just a little bit. Yeah, that's true. But now I think if you continue to look at, especially those two cases, the Cowboys were almost run heavy to their detriment. I think you saw in their game against Seattle, which we talked about, Seattle was run heavy to their detriment, not allowing the quarterback to do what he should do. The Cowboys offense was its best when Dak Prescott was very good. And you look at the Rams right now, the last two games of the regular season, they put CJ Anderson who was taken off the street, had barely played in 2018, and he was running for 140 yards per game uh, in the same situation as Gurley. You just saw them win the NFC Championship game when they rushed for like 2.9 yards per carry, uh, and neither Gurley nor Anderson rushed for more than like 40 yards. So you can say that Barkley is the best running back in the league, which right now I think I fully agree with, but there's a cap on how important that is to an overall offense and winning in the NFL. Now, if we can switch to maybe using Barkley as a more efficient receiver, and if you look at that NFC Championship game and the impact Alvin Kamara had as a pass catcher, and we've brought him up as an example before of just catching balls past the line of scrimmage and and scheming more open routes to the running back. That is fine. That is the way to use a running back in the modern NFL, but that's not the way Barkley was used. So unless they are going to adapt this offseason and use him more in that Kamara mold, uh, then it, there's just only so much of a ceiling that matters in having the best running back in the league. Oh, yeah, and you've basically given a perfect segue, at least for me, into at least two of my suggestions to improve on offense. So do you want to go there? Yeah, let's let's just get into that. So we've recapped everything out, we'll, maybe between maybe some possible players and just overall schemes and ideas of what we would like to see uh, done during this offseason to improve the offense going into next season. So it, if that's a good transition for you, let's yeah. let's just go to what you have there. Yeah, my first two, and I think they pretty much go hand in hand, is that they the Giants offense needs to use its players more efficiently. They don't need more skill position players or better skill position players. They they have an embarrassment of riches right now between Odell and Barkley and Engram and Shepard. That's not even filling out the fifth spot. And they've got more than most teams have. They're, I would say, top three in terms of offensive skill position players and just threats and weapons. They need to learn how to use them. They need to get Odell running down the field and put him in position where he can have those explosive plays. They need to use Engram to 
just shred covered shells and use Barkley like a rich man's Alvin Kamara, which is basically what he is, or at least should be. And yes, he is a fantastic guy to hand the ball off to, but he is also a ridiculous receiving threat. And Kamara is basically getting a 10 yard advantage on him just based on the differences in the types of passes, the two catch. So use them like that. Get those free yards, pick up all those extra explosive plays. And this is on top of what was already basically the most explosive, if not consistent offense in the league. And then study up on new Orleans and the Rams. You know, I mentioned how Sean McVay is, a genius at putting Todd Gurley in position to succeed. Gurley and CJ Anderson were two of just four running backs to actually face the majority of their runs with against six defenders. And in the first 14 or 12 or 14 games, the Rams played 99% of their downs in 11 personnel. They actually use that to manipulate defenses and force them into alignments and packages that were uncomfortable and forced matchup problems that they took care of. So learn from that. Watch their tape. You, The Giants have those kinds of weapons, if not better than those kinds of weapons. There's no reason why they can't do that. Yeah, exactly. This and that's something that we've seen this season. It kind of it got proven through a whole bunch of studies during the last offseason, and I wrote about it before this season of how the personnel usage is what influences defenses box counts way more than than who the players are or who the running back is. Uh, if you're spread in, in 11 personnel or you have four wide receivers on the field, the defense is not going to stack the box. That is when you run the ball. When you are tight and you have two or three tight ends on the field and they're all tight on the line and it looks like you're going to run, that's when the defense stacks the box and that's when they're able to stop the run. So these box counts are very much controlled by the offense and that's something... I don't think the Giants have learned themselves, but that's something a lot of the smart teams in the league have started to figure out. If you can spread the field to run, then that's when running is its most efficient. There are a whole bunch of other things that, that make running more efficient. And when we talk about how, and really in in kind of like the all the analytics and stuff talking about how passing is more efficient than running, no one is saying that you should never run. That's not the case, but... Way too often, teams are finding ways to run that are incredibly inefficient and are to a detriment to the offense. Running into stacked boxes is one. Running on first and 10 is another. Combining those two, which the Giants did almost more than any other team uh, in the league this year, I think Saquon Barkley had the, the second most, if not the most, runs on first and 10 into stacked boxes. That's just a terrible way to play offense. That's not an efficient way. So I think you just kind of have to step back and learn and figure out these ways of how to put your players in the best place to succeed. And in 2018, the Giants did not do that at all. Like as soon as Saquon Barkley was drafted, like two days later, 
I wrote a piece on Big Blue View of five plays the Giants should steal for Saquon Barkley just to put him out in space as a pass catcher. The Giants did none of that. Like, these are just easy things that don't take a lot of effort to improve the offense, and it's just not something the Giants did this year. Yeah, which is honestly especially bad considering at least one of those plays off the top of my head was designed by Mike Shula, the Giants' at least nominal offensive coordinator. Yes, it was. I did take a Christian McCaffrey play from the Panthers. Yep. So... it's not like this is some. These are concepts they're unfamiliar with. Yeah, I mean, I think big overall, that is, you know, absolutely is something the Giants need to look at. Just how they use the players, and just yeah, look around the league at at what what successful offenses are doing because the Giants just were not that. They they just weren't that in 2018. As much as I will cite DVOA in those things, I think that 13th ranking is, it's very suspect, and there there are a bunch of reasons to why that was the case, but I don't think that's going to be especially predictive. I, I did write during, uh, right after the season, of looking at why that might have been the case, of why the Giants were so high in DVOA, when... When the offense that way. wasn't great. Yeah, why it certainly did not feel that way. Uh, and there were a bunch of things. Just uh, the big play rate was so high, and that is not always going to be sustainable when the, the just the down-to-down consistency wasn't there. Um, they were very good early in the year picking up first downs on first and second down, which is another thing the Giants need to look at and another thing they didn't do well in the second half of the season. Don't play for manageable third down get a first down on first or second down um and that's the easiest way to move the ball playing for a manageable third down is playing yourself into a detriment on first and second down and they did that very often it's and that's kind of part of the run mentality we're going to run on you know second and ten to set up a third and short but that doesn't always work the best way to to convert on third down is to not face it that's another lesson I think the Giants really need to learn so I think when we go forward if we look at some of these overall is just the specific positions I think there absolutely has to be a plan in place at quarterback and when you look at this draft class right now it's kind of if you're not taking someone at six, there might not be someone worth taking. Uh, but I think you seriously have to consider that at six, whether that's Dwayne Haskins, whether that's Kyler Murray, who I know I am personally going to be higher on than the Giants are because he's only 5'10", which is a dumb reason to not be high on a quarterback. I will, you'll continue to hear me say that throughout the offseason. And that plan, I think, needs to be at place. Waiting for 2020 and hoping that quarterback class is as good as people think it might be, uh, that's that doesn't feel like a good plan to me because you just you never know. When you look at the offensive line, what what is Jamon Brown's future? We know the left side is is set. You absolutely need a right tackle, whether Jamon Brown, who again, we talked about was one of the worst guards in blown block rate this year, uh, is he worth bringing back? 
And I think those are things that are that are going to shape the offense. And I think you need to improve that more uh, if you're going to continue to try to be the run running team that it, it seems like this team is is trying to be built to be as much as I wouldn't agree with that. But I think QB is just personnel wise is going to be the biggest question. Um, do you have you know, four games of Eli left or do you have potentially 20? That is a huge difference. And that is going to shape how good this team is going to be over the next couple of years. Yeah. And unfortunately the, the answer to the quarterback question really might not even be in the Giants' power to answer. I think we can, unfortunately, I think we can more or less dismiss Kyler Murray because, you know, like you said, it's a dumb reason, but he's under six foot. So I just don't see Dave Gettleman pulling the trigger on him unless Pat Shermer and Shula basically stage a mutiny and say, this is our guy. You are drafting him or we walk. Yeah. So I'm not sure how real that possibility is just overall in them drafting, but I'm not going to stop talking about him because I, again, I think that's a a stupid reason to not be interested in him. And I am going to continually say, I think he's going to be good. So as long as I still think that, I will bring him up as a possibility for the Giants, no matter how realistic the actual scenario is. Yeah. Unfortunately, when it comes to Haskins, there are going to be multiple picks in front of the Giants. I would say one and three at the very least that are going to be for sale. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the Giants don't have the resources to get into a bidding war for them. And they might want to draft Haskins, but he, I think it's unlikely that he makes it to them. You know, there are teams above them who need quarterbacks or who don't need quarterbacks who need a volume of talented players. And there are teams behind them who do need quarterbacks and have the resources to move up, whether they are draft picks or maybe like Jacksonville who, could trade on some of their defensive players as a way to get out from underneath the cap hell they found themselves in as well as find a replacement for Blake Bortles. So the, the giants are kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to the quarterback. As for the offensive line, I think they need to make a few decisions. The first is what do they think of John Halapio? You know, do they think he could actually become a viable starting center? If they do, they'll probably ride with him, at least give him a chance. Uh, the second is Jamon Brown. Do you think he will improve if you happen to improve center and right tackle? And then the third decision is just what are what the hell are they going to do at right tackle? Will they just throw money at Daryl Williams? who I think is probably the front front runner to be signed in free agency because if there's one thing this regime has shown, it's that familiarity and comfort are the number one trait they look for. 
which really is such a bad trait to go after. Uh, not that it's a bad trait to go after. It should not be the priority that it is. And, and clearly it is uh, for the front office and the coaching staff. And that is, it's sad because there's, should be other things that take precedent over that. We got some time to to see how all of that is going to work out. So we ran through the offense on this episode. We're going to do a similar thing for the defense uh, in the next episode. So we will do that at the end of the week. We will end this show here. So you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review if you have not. You can follow our work at BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. Follow us on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.